0: Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Prog Notes. This is Destin. Just as a note, we are separating this episode into two parts because of how long it ended up being, where part one and two, end and start, may seem a little unorthodox because we didn't plan on making the episode this long, but I hope you'll still enjoy Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Thanks. Welcome to Prog Notes, where we bring you reviews of albums from the progressive rock archives. I'm Dustin Frost, and I'm the co-host Drew Brown. And today we are listening to the legendary progressive rock album "Dark Side of the Moon" by Pink Floyd. So, Drew, this is a uh, this is a big album. <laughs> this is a huge album. And it's it's definitely the reason. Well. There's a reason why it's the second one that we're reviewing on our show. Yeah. And uh, this is, uh, oh man, it's, it's, it's an incredible, incredible record. But, and we got a lot to talk about this, so we are going to give it justice as much as we can because it is very, it's to to both of us it's it's a big album so we we hope that everybody else likes it as well if you haven't heard of this record if you own the shirt that has the album on it maybe you'll actually listen to it after listening to this podcast so yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's like your biggest pet peeve man i i hate every single
1: time that you see someone wearing like the album artwork and you're like i bet you don't even
0: haven't even heard this record I know, Get so dude, upset. I, it makes me so mad. But it's, it's like, why do you, why do you wear, are you branding something? Or do you think like, are you associating yourself with the album? Like, or, or do you actually like, it's cool. Or do you just like the artwork? I mean, the artwork is cool, but like, there's more behind the artwork. Like, well, the, a lot the of the times the time time don't know. The music, I, they it's just, just don't the know.
1: It just looks cool. It's so just, just, they, yeah. it's they, it's, they it's, it's just, just And there's nothing wrong. It. There's nothing wrong with that. But well, of course now if you hear it, maybe, maybe, uh, Maybe you'll be like, "Hey, I can wear the shirt and know the the, the, the music behind it." So. That's right,
0: that's right. So, well, let's before we dig into this album because we got a lot to talk about with this thing. I think we should talk about Pink Floyd for a second. So, Drew, why don't you tell us a little bit about who Pink Floyd is? Yeah, uh, a lot of people brand
1: them as psychedelic rock, which is completely right. Uh, they give kind of a psychedelic feel. A lot of people label it kind of druggy music and uh you know i'm not gonna dispute that uh <laughs> i'm not gonna yeah. try to dispute that because she's got this very mellow feel you know uh to it and and psychedelic as well so and that was a. Uh, um uh, I think a big thing back in the, the late 60s when there was a lot of experimentation going around with that too i mean the beatles were doing it a lot of british invasion fans were doing it and so um, yeah but pink floyd kind of took it into the next level as far as just being super super out there and yeah you know music that lets you get lost i think that's yes. a good
0: way to explain it yeah um they created but, these just they, they were really really good at creating these very luscious soundscapes Yes and, yes, and and they really, really invited people into this kind of flowy world. Uh, but all, I mean, for this album at least. But they're you know they they also did a lot of film soundtracks in yeah, their early yeah. days. Um, and so th- this album was released in 1973, but the band was formed in 1965. So they've had a you know a pretty long career, pretty long career going into this record. And so, uh, but they they definitely. Uh, I think found their blend of songwriting and soundscapes together and combined it perfectly for this record to create something that was truly just phenomenal absolutely timeless
1: yeah um and i i I, I agree with you I think this was the album that really boosted them into the stratosphere as it were uh as far as popularity goes oh, of so i mean you know they, they, they were fairly popular before this absolutely but this yeah. was i mean this one has the, the song that everyone knows by them which is money yep this album has that on there and uh you know that anyways yep. that was that was that was a big um this was a landmark record let's just put it that way absolutely
0: um, absolutely so and- so pink floyd uh consists of four members roger waters who is a vocalist and bassist david gilmore who is uh primarily the lead vocalist and guitarist we have rick or richard wright who is the keyboard and also sang backup vocals and nick mason who played drums and um this oh man to me like pink floyd is one of the biggest bands to really push boundaries of recording music and and just Mm -hmm. like seeking just new opportunities with technology throughout their time as, as well as uh pushing it lyrically they, they were doing they were really different for, and their and their time and and people di- oh my gosh they're so inspirational now like I, just all kinds of you know how do we get the David Gilmore guitar sound like you know that's that's so right they really yeah. landmarked their sound they were innovators of sound as as well as songwriting but cr- just insane and incredible creators and innovators of sound. And uh, they they paved the way for a lot of other musicians to be able to enter in this new kind of, I don't know, what would you say? Like psychedelic kind of progressive rock kind of thing?
1: Yeah. So I I think, and that's something to explain too, is like why are we reviewing just a psychedelic rock album on a prog notes thing? I I think it's important to note that... um, you know, it can be argued back and forth, but I would definitely advocate the idea that they are a progressive rock band. Um, a big part of that is because of um, how we mentioned earlier in the first episode um, that we like experimental stuff too. Yeah. Oh, because the, that's the a
0: experimentation.
1: What, yeah. That's a lot of what, um, you know, prog rock was about. And so um, this, this band does that. And especially with the idea we also mentioned last time on the first episode with concept albums um this is definitely a concept album and we'll go into that more later Absolutely. but uh, yeah. I'll, uh i just wanted to say that it's important to note that i think that there's legitimate arguments to say that this is a progressive rock album
0: Oh, of course and they
1: were that they were a progressive rock band Absolutely. or at least came in at some point so yeah
0: yeah yeah this i mean i i think this album has re- it's, it's become a cornerstone to 20th century culture and music and just provided just incredible inspiration to artists in and outside of music um, and so it's, I think it's, I, I, I mean, me personally, especially for me, I think it's, it's success really encouraged a lot of musicians to explore more progressive styles of music. And I, and I think it just raised the bar for studio recording greatly for its time. We'll talk a little bit more about that because this album was recorded in 1972. Uh, and so this album was also recorded at Abbey Road Studios. And uh, was on the billboard charts for a consistent. you want to take it you want to take a guess at this? Do you know this drew? Uh,
1: no it was over 900. I'm gonna guess 937 900, weeks. over
0: 725 weeks. Oh my bad. Yeah well l- well here let me let me let me rephrase this. A consistent 725 14 years roughly yeah. At, consistently, I think, consistently on the Billboard charts. I mean, that that's just. I mean, it came back and like a couple years afterwards, it went and went back on the charts. I think when they redid it and remastered it. But yeah, I mean,
1: if, well, I know, I know that it was the highest selling album uh, of all time. Yeah, until Michael Jackson's Thriller came along. Yes. So, yeah, so uh, it's
0: it's it's it's, let's just, it's one of the best selling albums of all time. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. But yeah, so I, so Drew, we we talked about the, uh, before we kind of go into the music of this. This album is a concept album. Now, concept albums, I, I believe, to the average listener, uh, there it's a uh, it's kind of foreign. So, uh, what what is a concept album, and what makes this album, Dark Side of the Moon, a concept album? So, a concept album, as far as as I've looked up and done my
1: research on it, my extensive research looking at Wikipedia as much as I can um, from what I have seen. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, I'm so credible. I'm such a credible source. Thanks for asking right. me, Destin. Yeah, no problem. Um, I think that um, there, there are two different ways it can fit that definition. That might sound a, way, a weird way to say that, but one, a concept album is um, an album that the entire piece, the entire work rather is is part of the same story. Each song that you hear is part of the same story or relates to a uh, specific theme. Or, like we did last week, 2112 is a concept album as well because it has at least one song that is quite lengthy that has one overarching story right. to it. And that has a, a clear-cut story. You know, that that's it's, it's not just a cool mood that's the same for a while, you know. Um, but, uh, so yeah, this one... Is a concept album through and through, mm-hmm. because the entire piece is fluid. There is one break in it, and that's simply because I, I, I seriously think part of the reason was because they didn't have the, um, the technology to keep it fluid the entire time. Yeah. Because back then
0: you had vinyl, right? right. You had two separate exactly. stacks, so you had to take it off at some point to Talk break about it. that also as well. But they use that to their advantage yeah. for sure.
1: Yeah, and right. this piece is all about i say peace because it really is it feels kind of just like one song there are 10 songs technically on it as they separate them um but all of them kind of flow into each other besides that one oh, flip yeah. between side a and b and um it's about all the things that drive people yeah. mad um purportedly by by roger waters that's the one who he's oh, yeah. the one who kind of had the main I mean, idea he wrote all of the lyrics to create a concept behind that theme of the moon and uh you're, so, you're, yeah
0: you're just Things that drive people mad, uh, the pressures of life, uh, all of that, and so I, I think we wanted to talk about this album as a whole before we started diving into the tracks because we were actually going to do a track by track throughout this entire thing because of the nature of how this album is so glued together. It, it, it has right. to be. It has to be studied and listened to from front to end. I cannot listen to this yeah. album. I can't listen to one song off this album. I just can't. I have to listen to like the entire Hmm. thing because it, it it makes sense. Like, it's like you're ready for the next song to come up and then just cuts and you're like, well, what the heck?
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's weird to hear like a radio cut of money, Yeah, you know? Uh,
0: yeah, it's kind of,
1: It's I mean, it's just different. It's just weird because it's so it's so fluid because it goes right into us and them right after that. And so it's just weird to kind of hear like cut off. But that's that's something that that like you said, Dustin, I think that the listeners uh, of this should know is that when you listen to this. Please give it the attention it deserves uh, and yes. listen to it the way it was meant to. That might sound snobbish, but it, I think it's just a much richer experience if you take some time to just listen to it end to end without any distractions. And that that's what I did the first time I heard it. I have to plug in my fun anecdote here and I have to give credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. So my sister, my oldest sister, um, wanted to take me to a laser show to the dark side of the moon. And this was when I was in high school, freshman. I was 14 years old. She said, hey. Uh, I want to take you to go see this. It was really fun. I really like this music. That would be something cool we could do together. And I was like, oh, that's sweet. That's really nice. Yeah, let's do that. But hey, I want to hear the music first before I go into it. I just kind of want to know the music before I see the lasers put to it. So you mind if we listen to it? And she said, yeah, sure thing. So we actually heard it on vinyl. Classic. Because she had it on vinyl and she she wanted to show it to me that way. Yeah, I know. You you got to do it. Um, Perfect. And (laughs) Yeah. So we took a trip back to 1973. We played the album end to end, no distractions. We both just laid on the floor. Um, and you know, dimmed the lights really quick and just let the music take us away. And it was one of those things where I had a super cheesy, like line to say after that, but when, when it ended and the heartbeat was done at the end, just like how it starts, I, I stood up and it was weird. It was like, it was coming back into reality. It was coming back into reality from this journey that I had just taken. And I, I said, you know, Rachel, for my entire life, I had listened to music. And for the first time ever with this record, I felt music. I said, I know that sounds really cheesy, but that's just how I feel. And she was like, no, that doesn't sound cheesy at all. I get that. Like, that's, that's, this is that kind of album for me too. And I think it is for a lot of people. So I have to, I had to share that story because it was such a, remarkable moment in my life that I'll never forget because it also kind of was the springboard yes. into a lot of the other music that I explored later in high school, which is a lot of the music that we talk about on the show. Right. Yeah. So, and, and I, de- um, and I dare yeah.
0: ask you this because I, I think I know the answer, but is dark side of the moon, your favorite album of all time? It is. Yeah. I don't know. I've told yes. you, you, you set that up yeah. very well.
1: Cause you know, that's my favorite. It's, it, this is my favorite record ever. And, um, Yeah, whenever I take the time to listen to it end to end, it's just, it's breathtaking for me. So, yeah. So,
0: that's like, like Drew said, you know, this album is about things that drive people mad and the pressures of life. And I think that also really, really relates to why it stood the test of time because it's about life. Um, It's very relatable. It's very relatable to people who are in their 60s. It's very relatable to people who are 14, like Drew was. And uh, so, but not only just is this concept, very, very relatable and and strong, but the the recording of this was just absolutely, incredibly groundbreaking, or groundbreaking, excuse me. And it just, it pushed boundaries of studio recording, which is a ton of incredible techniques, experimentation with the help of their engineer, Alan Parsons. Uh, and I'll mention his name in, in the, uh, in the future as we keep going but he also if you don't know who alan parsons is he recorded the beatles abbey road and let it be so if you know those albums then you know alan parsons so he also had his own band which you might know as the alan parsons oh yeah he also did some incredible (laughs) stuff there too which is which is really cool i mean this is me personally this whole record this is my favorite lyrical album of all time oh it's genius
1: and a lot of pink floyd albums absolutely are like that for me because waters has he's he's got a way with words. He just does. And when you set them. He's so mature yeah.
0: with lyrics. Yeah. Like, I mean, he, he wrote, the, he wrote an album and I mean, he wrote an album, which is dark side of the moon in his late twenties about life in his late twenties. Well, and
1: it's, it's just so profound. You it's know, just it's, so <laughs>
0: profound and it's, yeah. it's,
1: it's done very well, but, um, it's, it's incredible, but yeah. And he does that with a lot of their other records too. I and mean, you know, he, he was, he was yeah. a, a strong lyrical force
0: for, a. a Yeah, most of their content, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, so this album writes about things that drive people mad and the pressures of life. And so what, what is the title of the album referring to Drew? Like what, what is, what is the dark side of the moon when it comes to things that drive people mad? Like how do those relate what, how does that connect? I I think that it's, that, that that it's in and of itself as a metaphor for insanity.
1: And I know very briefly, very quick history here. I think they were so fascinated with that because one of their founding members before Gilmore came in was Sid Barrett and yeah. he, he went bonkers, which is maybe an indelicate way to put it, but um yeah. he I think was it was not stable. Schizophrenia.
0: I think it was schizophrenia. Maybe. Um, I, I don't know. For um, sure. I'm not I actually know. sure. I also the, know that he was uh, kind of a, a raging alcoholic, I think.
1: Yes. Well, he would show up to, to, to gigs and not know where he was and not know what material they were playing. And, I mean, he was just out of like completely out of, this wasn't just like partying around and I'm a little tipsy. This was like, right. I don't know where I am. Like, and I, you know, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Just completely out of touch with reality. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And um, so, you know, unfortunately it was, I think it was very disturbing for the rest of the band, um, particularly waters who had known him for a while and mm-hmm. enjoyed, you know, playing with him for a bit, but it just, it was unsustainable and they couldn't keep going like that. And so they had to let him go. And I, I think that's part of the reason a lot of their albums kind of deal with hysteria or insanity in some way. Um, and this one, uh, going back to your original question of to what that refers to, The Dark Side of the Moon actually refers to insanity, which I didn't realize. I did some quick research on this, but, you know, and they say that at the very end, very softly in the mix is, you know, there's no Dark Side of the Moon really. As a matter of fact, it's all dark. And yeah. I never really thought about that uh, before until, until recently as to, okay, we're all kind of insane. That's how I take it at least, yep. you know? Yeah, all I, I think insane. that
0: like it, I think it's a metaphor for darkness, like that's tie in exactly what you were saying, that it's it's meaning that like darkness just represents insanity. And in reality, the light that's portrayed by the moon is really an illusion, right? Right, So, So yeah. to me, right, I mean, this is just my opinion, but to me, it seems that the dark side of the moon is a concept suggesting that everyone on some level is insane or we'll have to deal with madness. Right.
1: Yeah. And there are some songs and tracks on here that kind of reflect this. Well, we say we're all insane, kind of this idea of unity and yet disconnect connection as well. There's this yeah. weird, this weird paradox there of this, you know, we're all insane. So it's hard for us to reach out and to relate to one another, but we're all kind of in the same boat too, in, mm-hmm. in a different way. And it's, yeah, it's this, this album has so many layers, lyrically, philosophically, and metaphysically. So absolutely. So
0: yeah, so like, I think a couple of things I got, I have before, before we dive into this album here, I, I found out that this was really, really cool when it comes to the, okay, so where they were at in 1973 or 1972 recording this album. Okay. So there's a couple of things that I found out that were incredible that I thought that were just, com- so, just really, really cool. So the first thing is that this this album all right in 1972 it was mixed on a EMI TG console okay which is a board all right and this was actually the first solid state mixing console by EMI ever so which is if you want to look that up solid state versus tube or any of that anything of that nature it was just a more stable mixing console where Alan Parsons could take all of the instruments and mix them a little bit differently than normal so it was very, very uh, new for its time, but it was also originally mixed in quadraphonic sound. Quadraphonic sound, if we take a history of this, obviously way back in, I don't know, what was it, 40s, maybe 50s even, we, we only had one speaker that everybody listened to music out of. You know, If you listen to Sun Studios in Memphis or something like that, they had just one speaker. Everything came out of one speaker. Well, then things started going to what we know today as stereo sound, which broke it into two separate speakers, where we have a left speaker and a right speaker, right? Which is, you know, I mean, now even phones like iPhones and stuff have stereo uh, speakers in them. Uh, headphones, people who wear headphones, they got two: a left and a right headphone you know, those, it's, it's stereo sound. Well, this was actually mixed in quadrophonic sound, meaning that it was actually the usage of four speakers, meaning we have a front left, a front right, a back left, and a back right, which is really, really cool because they initially mixed this entire album in quadrophonic sound. It was an absolute commercial failure because of the amount of wiring and all kinds of just crazy stuff that was going on. People just didn't get onto it. But... They had so many different things that were going on that they use. It's like, oh, let's put that in the back left, or let's put that over here to the right. You know, they had this, uh, they had more control over where they could place their uh their ideas and their their little nuances yeah. in the music throughout the album. To really, to really get immersed yes. in that sound and that world. Absolutely. So, and with the new board, this console, right, they were also able to work up to sixteen different tracks at once instead of using eight. So this whole new arsenal of just potential tracks opened many doors for them. And it not only meant that they could record more instruments and sound effects into their songs, they could also experiment with like double tracking with vocals and guitar lines and really just enhancing their outstanding ability to create lush, lush soundscapes from the start. So it's really cool because... They have it. So, you know, all these things are just adding to the the possibilities and possibilities and more stuff we can add and more stuff we can do. And so it's just one of those outstanding qualities of is, is, Oh, I mean, is he, even, how's the tracks like bleed into each other. Right. And it was really cool. Cause Alan Parsons did this in a really unconventional way. And instead of editing the tracks during the final, like mastering process where we're, we're getting the songs ready to be released, he, <laughs> he did the edits right onto the master recording by arranging the pieces of this like musical puzzle and splicing tapes together. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it was really meticulous and and very hard to do in 1972. And uh, to end this, before we jump into this, I'll, I'll leave you with this right here. Just to, this is a really cool thing. The console that the album, Dark Side of the Moon, was recorded on, sold for $1.8 million in 2017. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous, yeah. dude. That is so much <laughs> money. 1.8 million dollars. Mm-hmm. That is that is yeah. nuts. But either way, there's yeah. there's some fun facts about the album. Let's go ahead and 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 dive into this thing. So we're gonna listen to Speak to Me, which is the very, very beginning of this, of this record, which then bleeds into breathe. And we'll listen to both of these together. And uh, we'll actually, uh, since it kind of has a slow start in the very beginning, Drew, uh, we'll, we'll, just, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just let it play and, and let people listen to it. And then we can jump in after Breathe starts uh, to where we can talk about what's really going on. But let's kind of immerse everyone into uh, what's really kind of the intro of this thing. Hey, we need your help. We have a goal to unlock a new Patreon tier to include bonus episodes. Once we reach enough patrons, we'll start cranking out bonus material for the new tier.
1: And we have several ideas. Yeah, like a prog-themed role-playing game, more in-depth lyrical and conceptual analyses, and many, many more. So if any of that seems intriguing, visit patreon.com slash prognotes. And back to the show.
0: What the heck was all that going on at the beginning of the song like what was i think that's kind of a culmination of a lot
1: of the sounds that you hear later in the record it's almost like this brief overture like this really small brief overture yeah but i love that this record and you'll hear at the end spoilers um that the heartbeat yes. begins and ends the album again kind of pertaining to this whole theme of life yeah. right all the stuff that we can relate to that at the beginning and at the end wherever you are in life, this, these are kind of the troubles that, that we deal with. These are kind of the things that we can all understand
0: on some yeah. level. and, I, and I, was, um, I was gonna say that exact thing, is that the heartbeat is a metaphor for life and everything in between. And uh, it was yeah. actually interesting because I, I just thought of this, but obviously you, you clearly heard voices in the beginning of, of the track, uh, which I think are clearly discussing the issue of insanity. You know, I've, I've always been mad. You know, I've always been bad. Oh, yeah. I know I've been bad, like the most of us, or most of us. And, and uh, so, but it was interesting. I actually just thought of this, but kind of, you know, the, like that, that female yelling um, at the very beginning. It's kind of creepy, but uh, it, it kind of reminds me. it's kind of signals to, to, of child labor and like entering of life. And then with the calm instrumentation, and of course with the, the song, the title being Breathe, it's almost like we're being born into life. I don't know. I, I, right. I mean, I don't know yeah. if that's how they were portraying that with that yelling, but that's what I got from that.
1: No, I've never thought of it that way, but I, I, I really yeah. like that interpretation. I think that's really yeah. cool because when I hear it, I think of the rest of uh, the, the rest of the album, right, with the breaking with in the sky, which is where I think they pulled that you're from. At, yeah, I think um, you're right. I think you're right. So. With, with, with that track, So that's just what I think of when I hear that is it's of an overture. you know this isn't a, you know a reference to something to come yeah.
0: you know yeah. and so this this song, uh, the, the lyrics in breathe, which is what we're listening to right now, seem to imply two different lifestyles, which are the follower and the chooser. And I really like how they open it with this because the, it's it's almost like saying that we're all kind of like two different we all live in two different lifestyles, you know. And it's saying that the chooser will be able to live a long life, but because they aren't riding the tide, as they say in the song, they will only see what they choose to see, mm-hmm. you know, saying that the song is implying that choosing can be limiting. But if you follow the system, you will see new things because you were just going with the flow. And I think they, uh, what do they say? Rabbits? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They used rabbits as like a metaphor for people in the lyrics and uh, a drawback to this going with the flow mentality can be, be that you I guess expend your life to being a laborer and and getting stuck doing mundane tasks over and over again you know it's kind of getting stuck in life you know what I'm saying and uh yeah
1: and when at last the work is done don't sit down it's time to dig yeah. another one you yeah. know it's just in the cycle of of yeah. working you know to what end though yeah. and, you know and, and so. I, it
0: really sets the mood I mean obviously just listening to that and then it kind of I mean you just feel that like kind of water air cloud like on a cloud kind of uh, kind of feeling
1: yeah i mean that's one of the biggest openings to a record ever you know you have all this kind of chaos in the background going on all at once and then out of nowhere it just kind of the climax is so refreshing it's not even energizing Mm -hmm. it's the opposite which is so weird to me I mean, all of the, you know, the, the, the volume increases. So that's where you feel kind of this energy coming in from. And then it just releases so yeah. quickly. It's just this really nice lilting, um, very picturesque, yeah. you know, um, yeah, just, just very groovy, just super groovy and, and very nice to hear It's that, 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 that just backwards strum that Gilmore does is amazing. Oh, it's, and it's, it's, oh
0: my gosh, dude. Yeah. And, and he actually used yeah. a, a Leslie speaker on this song. And uh, if you don't know what a Leslie speaker is, it's essentially just a speaker that's inside of a chamber that spins and you play the sound through it. So it gives this kind of wobbly sound, uh, which is very, very psychedelic. And uh, also, I mean, they, yeah, yeah it, it, was, it was really, really cool. And just even, even other things that they use as well. Rick Wright, uh, the keyboard player, used a Fender Rhodes stage, uh, which is an electric piano. Uh, which was released in 1970. So like, you know, brand new. This is a brand new instrument. And um, an electric piano is essentially the same thing as a piano, except it uses hammers not to hit strings, but instead metal tines that are amplified. So it gives this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not this very, uh, it's just smoother. You know, you know what I mean? It's a silkier smal- sound you know, uh, which, Mm -hmm. which is really, really cool. But I mean, they're just using new stuff, you know, they, they, I mean, they're Leslie speakers were normally used for Hammond organs and we're using them on guitars and not saying that David Gilmore was the first person to do that, but it's a great idea and people have definitely done it before, you know, after him and, you know, a a brand new Fender Rhodes electric piano that was released in 1970, you know, so they're, they're continuing to use new stuff and, uh, it's, it's really, really cool. So uh, yeah, I, I love that as a, as an opening track. So uh, now, so let's, let's go ahead and dig into the, the uh, I guess you technically call the third track on the album, uh, which is on the run. And uh, we'll take a listen a little bit to this, and then we'll talk about kind of how it changes from uh, breathe to on the run. So like, uh, obviously this whole album plays without any breaks, but uh, we are chopping it up just so it gives us enough time to talk about each of the songs. Um, so just imagine all of these songs kind of flowing, (laughs) you know, uh, through each other without any breaks or anything. So here is on the run.
1: know it's it's cool hearing this uh just that that constant i I don't know if it's i think it's on the high adapt yeah you know just continuing to go i I mean it's a perfectly named song on the run just it kind of gives that feel of you're always moving you're all constantly going let's go let's go let's go let's go and i think that's something that they were trying to really emphasize with that is this whole idea of um i mean i think Some people interpreted this as as travel, but it could really be anything and it applies to everything, but it's always, let's
0: move forward. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. And and this, It Um, is certainly, I mean, golly, I mean, just think about like, okay, so we just listened to Breathe and now we're moving into this like, like, dude, like it gives me anxiety. You know what I mean? Like it's- It is. It's an anxious It's an anxious
1: anxious sound. It's it's, it's, It's just weird. Like I have to do something.
0: I can't, you know. It's just, it seems that like, you know, this song is just a metaphor you know, like it's just it can be congruent with the person's life, but I think a pa- the past. You're absolutely right. The passes of time is certainly a key element to this. You know, the fear of flying. Mm-hmm. They have intercoms and running footsteps. Cool, cool little sound effects that they threw throughout. You know, through in the in the song, uh, but it's kind of creepy. Yes, and the
1: breathing. Yep, and the breathing just. Is... <sighs> Yeah, someone's running as they're always trying to get towards somewhere. And it's really cool how oh they use gosh. all of those effects. And they do that with a lot of their records. But this one, I think, yeah. emphasizes
0: it more oh, than yeah. any other. There, there's yeah, just, let's, yeah. Let, let's listen to this little synthesizer because I, I want to talk about this little thing for a second. So... that that little like, you know, that that, that synthesizer. Yeah, it's like arpeggiator. This is is really, really awesome, I think, in my personal opinion. This was actually created by feeding an eight-note sequence into this instrument called the EMS AKS that came out that year, 1972, right? So it was basically one of the very first synths with a sequencer. So what a sequencer is is basically you type in eight notes right and then what they did is they sped it up and then they added a white noise generator to give that hi-hat sound right so that was super you know um i guess you said unique for its time uh it it was a very one of the very first sets with the sequencer and it's so cool because they kind of mix they mess around with the knobs and stuff to give it that cool sound but I think Gilmore was the person who came up with it. And Roger Waters is like, ah, I, we can make that better. <laughs> and then, you know, he goes in and, and figures yeah. it out and, and creates all of those parts. And they, they did all kinds of cool, uh, sections, uh, you know, or just cool little pieces that they added in this. I mean, the, they created guitar parts by dragging a microphone stand on the fretboard. And then they panned it like left and right and put other synthesizer parts and made it sound like some kind of vehicle was passing by, given it like this Doppler effect. And, running footsteps it's just it's super experimental it really it's really cool but it's um it doesn't have any lyrics besides the kind of the the laughing in the background and all of that stuff but it's just
1: yeah and there's a guy saying something and and they do that they he, he peppers that throughout the album just um people's i think he did for yeah for this entire record he just he asked these kind of basic questions to a lot of people. When was the time you were, when was the last time you were violent? When was yeah. the last time? Uh, or where do you think about insanity? You know, these types of questions. And um, he just took a lot of people's different yeah. answers to that and stuck them on the album. And I think, uh, yeah, he does that throughout the album, but yeah, the only other talking in there or, you know, um, intelligent speech, let's put it that way. It was uh, live today, go That's tomorrow, insane. you know, uh, and then that's laughs. me yeah that, that just really and,
0: daunting laugh is just yeah it's it's, it's crazy yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's really creepy, creepy man but it's I, creepy i think they did a really really good job obviously speaking to that you know the the passage of time and 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 and, and the anxiety yeah. that comes with uh possibly fear of flying i think that's actually a quote from roger waters is that they were that he hated flying like hated flying had a massive fear of flying yeah, yeah i think i read that too flying in airports yeah. but even without just the travel aspect of it, this certainly just talks about a lot of stress. Like it's, it, you know, it's yeah, and constantly yep, having to move yep, forward, that kind and of get galloping hi hats, and you know, it has that really kind of like let's go, let's go, let's go, let's keep moving forward kind of thing.
1: Yeah, well, and like you said, I guess this is a good transition into the next song because you mentioned that this also you can kind of hear this passage of time, but then the next song is appropriately able to time. Uh so that's the fourth track on the record. Yep. Let's go ahead um, and take
0: a listen to this because I know we got a interesting interesting sounds here. <laughs> that wake you up? Yeah, that that
1: is something that I actually have to, like, brace myself for every single time I hear this song. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I do. I have to. And I'm like, oh, it's time. It's the beginning of time. It's after oh, yeah. On The Run. Let me turn down the speakers
0: just yep. a bit. Yep. We're just do, a we're gonna tiny bit. We're going to do it again. We're going to play it in the background again while we talk right. about this. Because it's, just, it's, it's just so, like... <laughs> Why are you doing it? Oh, man. It's just... It's so... I, I, I love this because I wanted to play this again because it, it really is really, really cool because at the end of On the Run, it kind of has this crash and, you know, that the anxiety and the stress are underlying themes and it's almost like the clocks have this jarring effect to the listener. You know, it's uh, it's, it's, yeah, almost, it's not it's, almost like it does. It absolutely does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about it, though, is that these clocks, it's like... Now, th- this may be totally... You know, just my opinion, but it, it could mean that the song is really kind of metaphorically waking people up that are not living their lives, almost as like after the stress of the day, you wake up to the same alarm clock that springs you awake. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's kind of like okay, the day's going, the day's going, the day's going, and then it ends, and then boom, these clocks hit, and it's like oh my, like wakes you back up again. You know, I think that's that's very very relatable to a lot of people where it's like you know we have a long day, we have a long day of work, where we get home at. Eight o'clock, we, go, we take a shower, we go to sleep, and then we wake up at six o'clock in the morning and we're just tired, we don't want to get up, and it's just these jarring clocks that just spring you awake. And I think that is just so cool how they use those two uh, transitions into each other. Really, really cool. Well, I think this
1: is also a super unique song because it has a lot of different sections. So it starts with the end of the last one, which is an, a, almost like a plane crash, right? This, when yeah. you hear it just in the distance, it's way far off, it's miles and miles away, you hear this kind of explosion. Of a crash or something very soft and then you hear kind of almost this nothingness and you hear kind of these clocks starting to tick just very softly in the background and then it just gets abrupt and that in and of itself is already a lot and then it goes into this part with a lot of those rototoms being yep. played in the background by nick mason and just these very long chords right by by bass and and guitar no yeah right it's just it's just long, and then it goes into kind of a more upbeat, typical, or more typical, rock song. Right? As the lyrics come in. But then it goes back to the Breathe reprise at the end, which you'll hear later. Yeah, It's just a very, very dynamic song.
0: Yeah. It's really cool. I I also really like, this is kind of a fun fact with Alan Parsons that he was using for time. It was really cool. Uh, Alan Parsons actually recorded these clocks to really show off the capabilities of quadraphonic sound he was like guys take a look at this i went in and like recorded all of these clocks and i like put them all over the place with these different speakers and stuff and the guys right. like, throw it on the album <laughs> they were like yeah i love it put it on the album and, and yeah. so they did and i mean it, it was it was completely so it's almost as if alan parsons has writing credit quote unquote to time uh and it's interesting because also time is the only song in the album where all members have writing credit Interesting. Yeah, which is which is really cool. But it also highlights multiple different um, avenues of of their, all of their talents together. You know. Every oh wait,
1: wait, wait. I oh, got I gotta hear the guitar solo. This go. is one of my favorites of all time. Here we go.
0: Yeah, it's it's
1: phenomenal. It's, it's, I, I, and this, this is one of my absolute favorite guitar solos of all time. Not to mention just, not just from Gilmore's catalog of solos, but just of all time. Oh yeah. And you can tell with this one, particularly, I mean with all of, a lot of Gilmore solos, but this one you can just tell it's not even a, it's just, it's just it focuses on the art. My, my dad likes to say the dark side of the moon, was what was like the the mathematical concept of pi. It was always there. Someone just had to discover it. Someone just had to figure it out first. Yeah. <laughs> but it was there. Like that had you know ever since time began, you know, the ratio between you know the the well, now I'm going to sound really stupid, but uh the ratio between <laughs> I think the the circumference um the radius, right? I, I lost yeah. you after you said circumference <laughs> the region between the circumference and the radius is always going to be the same, no matter what, and um, it was always there. You know, this and and this he likes to say is kind of like that. This was this was an art that was just found, and that's how I feel about this solo. Like Gilmore is just a tool. A physical tool to put this massively beautiful piece of artwork out into the world. And That's me getting way too out there, but it's just such a beautiful
0: piece. It's it's phen- um, I mean, there's no doubt that it, it's it's a phenomenal solo. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And so,
1: well, and I love I love that his voice is kind of more aggressive here. He's kind of yelling these lyrics. Yeah, I
0: also think and then really-
1: it kind of gets to to Richard Wright, who gives you a lament right this kind of softer melancholy feel yeah every year is getting shorter you know kind of this this is this is you know gilmore being the more aggressive like time is robbing you time is you know you're never gonna get anywhere because time is so short yeah and then he kind of you know rick wright kind of echoes that in 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 the chorus and uh but with a much more melancholy feel to it, yeah, more right. of a lament rather than an outcry of not of injustice,
0: right? Yeah. yeah, it's, I, I really like I really like Rick Wright singing on this song. And, and because he doesn't sing lead very often in Pink Floyd stuff. And I just I, I love that he uh, takes that takes that chorus there. and yeah. it's actually the only it's actually the last time. That he sings lead vocals on a Pink Floyd song until like the '90s on a record, so it's it's really uh, it's really cool to hear him take a lead part for that, which is really cool. I, I love yeah. it. I love it. But so th- this song is obviously like like we were discussing. It's it's time. The song's about wasting your life, doing nothing, wasting your life doing boring things. You know, a, a lot of people miss the opportunity to live their lives to the fullest, um, which is, <laughs> I mean very relatable you know and so it's i think the first verse kind of talks about wasting your youth but then the second verse kind of discusses this person who's kind of woken up and now looking to catch up with their life or his or her life or lost time you you know what i mean yeah it's it's, uh, really cool but it also kind of has this this sense of an underlying theme of anxiety and stress throughout the oh throughout the song. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of the, the ticking um, absolutely clock. it does. Kind of, you know, keep that, that just continues to, <laughs> you know, play. And, uh, and I also really like that, the reprise of, of Breathe. Uh, we, we just listened to it. It just ended, but it, it, it kind of transitions nicely into, into the first song, which is, talks about the relief and, and finding a way to deal with all the stress that's put forth in the previous songs on the run in time you know right and and i think it's and i'm gonna i'm gonna take a kind of a hard uh well i don't know i may be out in left field with this one but i think the two methods of release of relief excuse me that are specifically discussed are home which is obviously it's you know the line says home home again and like to be here when i can but then also religion with the lines the tolling of the iron bells calls the faithful to their knees and hear the softly spoken magic spells. So it's almost like we're referring back to home and religion to being these uh, two methods of way that we can cope um, or handle the stress and anxiety that we talked about or they talked about in time and on the run. So it's it's brilliantly done. I love it. Uh, that transition is so cool. I, I love it. Oh man, we're almost halfway through. Yep. We're all <laughs> <laughs> so that's that was time and no doubt. Oh my gosh, dude, it's just it's so good. It's it's probably that's one of my favorites. Kind of, and I mean, I can't really say songs because I think the whole thing is one song, but I can kind of divide these into chapters, you know. And I, I think that's like one yeah. of the, the cooler just it just it's so much there's a lot of emotion behind that because i mean for them being in their late 20s i think they were kind of feeling that way out of out of all Mm -hmm. of the songs that where they were talking that all of the topics that they talk about in in this album i think time is the one that's most relatable to pink floyd at the time when they recorded it and i think you can hear that in in the in that song for sure so moving in from there now we end up to the great gig in the sky. Uh, which is well, we'll listen to Rick Wright and his geniusness here. <laughs> his geniusness. How do, you, how do you like? Do you like that word, Drew?
1: That's that's. Uh, I, I do like, like that. Uh, thanks yeah. for thanks for introducing that into the vernacular. Yeah, I appreciate yeah, that. I I'm gonna start saying geniuses, yeah, ge- geniusness, geniusness
0: now. Geniusness. We're gonna have. To, all right, here we go. <laughs> song because it, it really kind of jumps into something that I I think is just extremely powerful and you, you know this this uh, really cool the, the, the girl who's about to sing right here is a 25 year old girl by the name of Claire Tory and uh, just here we go oh my gosh oh So, with with the context that this is being that's been given and the voices that go on in the very beginning of this, it's it's clearly talking about the idea of death, um, frightened of of dying. And um,
1: well, it's such an it's such an interesting title for a song. This is the great gig in the yeah, sky. What does and that even mean? I don't know. Just like simple terms like breathe and time, and later you'll hear money. These are basic one-word things that we all understand. But instead of saying death or dying or anything yeah. like that, you're dying. What? Yeah, you're. <laughs> Sorry, that's like a trigger. Now I have to do it. Anyways, but they they didn't they didn't choose to do that. They they decided to to give a bit more poetic and kind of ironic name yeah. to it. It's the great gig in the sky this last great I don't know adventure before it's oh, done yeah this is so or or rather that you know it, life keeps on going but up there somewhere you know yeah <laughs> And it's, it's it's just a very tumultuous song, right? Because now it's getting super soft again, right? Dark. After it built so much. Yeah, very it's very dark. dark. This whole album is yeah. pretty dark. You could say it's kind of like the dark side of the moon. Holy almost. cow.
0: Wow. That's, that's pretty amazing. Bad. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. I mean, I'll have bad. to hand that yeah. to you. So, Gosh, yep. I hate it. Okay. Claire, um, <laughs> okay so let's but, talk about Claire for a second because she's a big part of this song, but she had no idea what she was doing when she came in to sing this thing. I know, and I love this story. This is so it. awesome. It's, it's awesome. I mean, do you, do you know the, Do you know the whole story? Well, yeah they they knew they
1: needed something other than what they had, you know, uh, to combine with Rick's piano, because uh, I think that was the the center, or at least the beginning of the whole thing. Right. Was this piece that Rick Wright had written on the piano? And we're like, well, we need something to go with that, but uh, we don't really know. And they they brought her in. I think Roger Waters actually grew up near her. Um, and they knew she was a singer i was it was a it was an acquaintance and so they said hey come in and listen to this piece that rick has already written and we just need you to sing free form it right and i'm pretty sure correct me if i'm wrong Mm Dustin, but i'm pretty sure she was a jazz singer she i mean this was not totally foreign terrain
0: for her i i have no idea the only thing i do know and this is actually from an interview that i saw with claire um she had no idea who pink floyd was um really didn't care for Pink Floyd, I wasn't a fan of Pink Floyd, and I actually think the way that they met her was not—I don't know if Roger actually knew her or not. I—I I think it was actually Alan. I think Alan worked with her in the past and asked okay. her to come in and sing on this. I think it was just—it was a young girl who was a singer and invited her. Uh, I don't know if Roger knew her or not. Maybe she did, but as far as I'm, as far as I know, I think that she just literally showed up not knowing who these four guys were. And Gilmore kind of directed her to saying, OK, we want something kind of like this and we want it to be this. And you know, and I think she did a couple of takes of it. And after that, it was like, OK, cool. Thank you. And then she left and never, never thought it was going to see the light of day.
1: Well, I think what I read was that she was embarrassed by it, actually. I thought that she didn't think it was good and she was just like this is weird I, you know I didn't know what I was doing sorry about that and they said oh, no this is amazing and we're keeping that and it was one take it was one take I'm pretty sure yeah they just she free formed it completely they didn't ask her to do it again she felt weird and she didn't like it but I'm pretty sure on the other side of the booth they heard it and they thought it was fantastic and they said we're keeping this it's
0: amazing and you did great yeah. work checks in the mail you know that type (laughs) that type of deal exactly and and it's funny i saw an interview this is hilarious i saw an interview that actually was the same interview with claire she was she said that she (laughs) did not even know that she made it on the album until she walked by a record store and saw dark side of the moon new pink floyd album and decided to get it and then saw her name in it well and
1: i know that there was stuff later on
0: where she actually fought for the writing
1: credit on that song because originally she was not given the credit. But considering that she is like crucial to that song, that her vocal line is that and that it was all her. They didn't tell her to sing this. She made it up completely. That should be her writing credit. So she said, I deserve this. So years down the road, she, um, you know, after the fact, she did get writing credit for that.
0: Yeah. So, and which is um, well-deserved. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. But I, I love the, uh, kind of the, in the, in the song with the piano, that's such a beautiful piano part. That is, um, it's one of the few things I can play on piano. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I it's, did know that. That's, oh yeah. It's because, <laughs> because it's that good. And I am not very good at piano. So, <laughs> uh, but I love the, the dialogue that, that kind of transitions to the, the wailing, which is just kind of the powerful, beautiful, uh, not afraid of dying. And then the other times it sounds fearful. It, it kind of like dims down and it's almost yeah. kind of, I'm going to crawl back into my shell. It has this anxiety driven kind of afraid of dying. So it's, I think this song is about being afraid and not afraid of dying. And there's actually a couple of quotes that are kind of thrown in there real softly uh, to talk about, you know, to to, to hint into those, um, into those ideas. But what I really like about this song is that obviously this was the end of the first side? This was the end of side A, but it also ends the physical living section of the album, and and what I mean by that is that the very beginning of the song we're talking about, you know, excuse me, the very beginning of the album we're talking about, uh, the life, uh, living life as the uh, the chooser. Um, or the follower, and then we go into uh, anxiety and stress, and um, and time, and the idea of time, and and the fear of death, then not the fear of death, which is all very, very physical, living uh, things. You know, it's it's kind of more uh, external. You, you know what I mean? Uh, in the world, it's it's of the world. You, you know mm-hmm. what I mean by that? Am I making sense? Um,
1: yes now that you've yeah. said internal and external yeah, th- yeah that makes more sense to me with those terms in the sense right. that the first half is more internal issues um yeah, i think the well, second half is more, more external
0: yeah because i think the it kind of goes from the physical living section and the next half of the album is exploring uh, insanity in a more philosophical way i think because we start oh, so you're saying about-
1: the opposite of what i think okay you're saying that uh, the first yeah. half of the album is a bit more external and yes. the second half is more internal. and Yes. Philosophical, yeah, 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 yeah. See, for me, and I think that's a cool interpretation. For me, it just flows so well together, the whole thing, that it's all kind of continuous, that there's yeah, not it, it that is. much of a separation. Because I think of time and then money and all this stuff being tied into it's stuff that we all – understand and all of these things are both simultaneously external and internal issues that we deal with. Yeah. But but I get what you're saying. I think that's a cool yeah. interpretation to kind of yeah. divide it even though it's, you know, consecutive piece, really. Right. It's, it's a consecutive cool divided.
0: Yeah. And 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 really be, I mean the break here happens out of necessity. You know, you know because in 1973 records need to be flipped over and so if you were listening to this on a vinyl this is where you would flip the record is right, right. after this song. So and I think they did a really good job Using that to their advantage, and, and but, rather but, than making it kind of break oddly, you, you know, which is which is really But
1: difficult. it's so it's so cool that it does have silence, and it's a perfect place to stop it because of the beginning of money.
0: Oh yeah, that's absolutely.
1: what's great. That's what's great is that yes, it was necessity in 1973, but you can listen to it today when you know that things are seamless and think, you know what? Even though it was necessary, I yeah. could see someone doing this intentionally, even with today's technology. Yes, having this right. pause between death. And then suddenly, right out of death, there's a couple minutes of, or seconds of silence, and then suddenly, boom, cash register opens. Yep. You know? I mean, it's just it's, it's phenomenal. So oh, yeah, um, it's, it's awesome.
0: Uh, so let's go ahead and take a little break real quick, and we'll, uh, we'll dive right into money here. So let's, let's take a listen to this. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening. Join us on part two where we dive into the song Money and the second half of the album. See you soon.